Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. A Hall of Fame wide receiver for the Raiders, played almost his entire career for the, the Raiders, except for the last year when he was part of the Tampa Bay Bucks. But for, forever and a day, everybody will know Tim Brown as one of the great Raiders of all time, and they've had a lot of great Raiders, like great, great Raider teams. And I, I'm going to ask him about this. I don't think he ever played in Oakland. I think his entire career was played in Los Angeles. I want to know about him. There was, there was a bit of controversy with his relationship with Al Davis. I want to know about that. Um, his relationship with, with other players on his team. I've worked with Tim Brown doing talk shows on Sirius XM NFL radio. And he was a piece of cake to work with because he was easy to work with. He wasn't, I'm Tim Brown, Hall of Famer. He was a guy that loved talking football. I loved talking football, and, and, and we had a, a, it was a good rapport there. So it worked out very well. So I'm going to give Tim a call, and then um, we're going to um, hook up with Tim Brown, and you'll get an opportunity to hear one of the greatest receivers in the history of professional football. Well, maybe not. No, there he is. Tim Brown, Howard David. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? Long time no talk to. How you feeling? Oh, man, I can't complain. I can't complain. Yeah, well, we are live and in color, but you don't have to dress up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, how are things in Dallas, where you live? Oh, man. You know, uh, a little short right now, right? I mean, I think... Uh, just trying to abide by the rules and and uh, get through this, man. So, but other than that, things are things are not bad. I was just talking before you came on about the golf tournament that was played yesterday, the Skins game. I don't know if you watched any of it. Uh, with uh-huh. with McElroy and Johnson and Ricky Fowler and and Wright, I thought it was it was. Kind oh, I didn't see that. You didn't <laughs> see it. Yeah, it was you know what's great about it? They were carrying their own bags. You know, I did see that in a highlight this morning on Good Morning America. Something I saw uh, somebody uh, carrying their own bag. I think it was Dustin I saw. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was great. It humanized the game. Right, 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 right. Um, I mean, when I think of Tim Brown, and, and we've done a lot of shows together on NFL radio and and know the cut of your cloth and that, who you are, but... For, the, for a lot of things, a lot of positive things, you've had a great life and, and still going strong. 
I mean, going to Notre Dame is a wish of a lot of young people. Um, getting into the Hall of Fame, winning the Heisman Trophy. I mean, man, I mean, every once in a while you look in the mirror and say, man, I'm lucky. I said, I said, I said, I said, you're a lucky guy. I mean, Heisman Trophy, yeah. going to Notre Dame, getting in the Hall of Fame. And I remember when we were working together, you had not yet gotten in the Hall of Fame, and you had to wait five years before you finally got in. Wasn't that frustrating? Uh, it was, man. You know, um, I, I I got some good advice from some guys, though. You know, um, you know. James Lofton, you know, told me one time, he said, just look at it this way, Jim. Um, if, if if you're not waiting, then somebody else is waiting. So, I mean, are you really are you really going to be selfish enough to say, that guy should be in right now, I should be in, you know what I mean? So when you, when you really look at it that way, man, you know, it's hard to, to get upset about it. You know, is it disappointing? Uh, of course it is. You know, I think the first couple of years I got tricked uh, or – uh, 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 deceived, I guess you could say, really, you know, thinking, okay, well, you know, they didn't put me in the first year because they didn't want, they didn't want another receiver to go in with Jerry. Yeah. And then I, I believe the year after that, I mean, the, the Super Bowl was here in Dallas. So everybody was saying, you know, oh, Tim, they was waiting for you to, to come home and they're going to do it in front of your people. And, you know, I, so I got deceived into believing those kind of things, man, and that made it even more disappointing. But, you know, once I, I got away from, from, from those kind of thoughts, you know, it just became, uh, hey, you know, hopefully, perhaps I'll make it this week. I mean, this year, but if not, then, you know, we just keep on moving. When you look at, uh, when you think of Notre Dame, you think of a, of a university that's got a tremendous legacy and a tremendous reputation. How did you come to go to Notre Dame? Was What were the other options? Uh, well, you know, you had all of the uh, Southwest Conference. You know, at that time. Um, so, but right, it really came down to SMU, uh, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Iowa of all, all schools at that time. And they were pretty hot at that time. So, uh, but in visiting, you know, you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and and um, and Iowa, I just didn't fit. Just didn't think I, I fit in with the with the guys, you know. They just they seem to come from a whole different world that I was that I was part of. So um, so and SMU was was you know quite intriguing, but you know uh, they just had a lot going on, right? Oh yes, <laughs> they had, a, had a lot going on at that time. Yeah, and you know uh, when I went to visit University of Notre Dame, you know my host, a guy named Alvin Miller, who uh, is still you know, one of my best friends today. Um, you know, I was so impressed with him as a as a person, not as a football player, as a person. You know, I just felt like, man, this is the kind of guy I need to hang out with. And um, so, you know, I think for me, yeah, the education was great, and you know, uh, you know, of course, you're gonna get a chance to play big time college football. But I think you have to be comfortable in your environment and. You know, Notre Dame to me was a very comfortable environment. When you, when you, the first time you walk onto the campus at Notre Dame, and, and I only ask you this because I did a game, a basketball game with Notre Dame and and Princeton when I first started in my career, and and calling games for Princeton. And the first time I walked onto the campus and saw the Golden Dome, I got to tell you, 
I was in awe. Did you feel that way? Yeah, you know, um, when they, uh, the first time I went up there, January 20, 1984, um, it was about four feet of snow on the ground. <laughs> Uh, but you make that drive down Notre Dame Avenue and you see that golden dome. And uh, so you had all the white of the trees and then you had that golden dome, <laughs> uh, the snow on the trees. Man, it, it was a picture that I never could get out of my head. And uh, uh, even now, you know, every time I'm going down that road, the first time I go back there, I always take a picture of that of that view, man, because I just think it's an it's a, it's a iconic view that uh, if that doesn't get your heart to pit a pattern, <laughs> then maybe you don't belong there at Notre Dame because uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that, that it just means something to you. I, at that point, I didn't know what it meant. I just thought it was beautiful, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who'd you play for? I had two years with Jerry Fouts and two years with uh, Lou Holtz. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Very interesting. I mean, one guy was, was a celebrated high school coach and gets a, a job like Notre Dame. And then Lou Holtz, uh, you know, uh, once upon a time was a coach of the Jets as well. So, look, I, I, I remember seeing, and you've probably seen it too, the, the motion picture, Rudy, uh, about the player that, that went to Notre Dame and, and, and went through broken glass to get there in every way. It's, it's incredible to me that, that an institution at the, at the collegiate level has got such a big reputation and it pretty much set years before you went there and everybody else from the days of Newt Rockney to you name it. I mean, it, it's incredible the history that's about the university. Yeah, it's, um, you know, one of the things that we, um, when we got there, you know, they used to play what, what they call the Wake Up the Echoes uh, video. And uh, and that goes back to the history of, of Notre Dame, goes back to the Four Horsemen and all that, man. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a remarkable, remarkable film. You know, and it, it'll get your, you know, it'll get, it'll put goose, goosebumps on your arm. But one of the things that my class said is, we want there to be a different video. Or we want there to be a, a, an addition uh, to that. And uh, and certainly, you know, um, we believe that we did that. You know, I went to Heisman my senior year, and then we had seven, eight, nine guys to stay over for the '88 year and win the national championship. So. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of tradition in Notre Dame, and, and, and what you add to it is going to be a, a tittle, a, you know, just a, just a little t- t- touch of, a little tip or something, but um, but I think, you know, putting that national championship on the board and another Heisman Trophy went on the board was something that we set out. We didn't set out to win the Heisman Trophy, right? Because if it was, I would have I would have told you, I would have bet you a dollar to a dime that it wouldn't have been me. <laughs> <laughs> but, because uh, that, that wasn't my thought process going there. Uh, but certainly by doing that, um, you know, we felt as if we added to the history of, of that great university, man. And that's something that we can all be proud of. Well, you played, I believe, with the exception of one year, your entire career with the Raiders, but you only played in Los Angeles, right? You weren't in Oakland? Oh, no, no. We, uh, I played seven and a half years in, in Oakland, okay. in L.A., and nine years in, in, seven years in L.A., nine years in Oakland. When you think of the Raiders, a lot of things come to mind. Um, Al Davis comes to mind only because uh, you, before I got there, Al Davis was legendary at my high school in Brooklyn at Erasmus Hall High School. And when I met Al the first time, I was introduced to him, and he said, where are you from? I said, Brooklyn. He goes, I'm from Brooklyn. I said, I knew that. 
He says, now the big question, where'd you go to high school? When I told him at Rasmus Hall High School, he wrapped his arms around me and hugged me. He says, now I love you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, well, the, the thing was interesting. And, you know, there's a lot of stories uh, about Al Davis positively and negatively. And the one thing that comes to mind is that uh, my old high school, was go- they were going to cancel the football program because they couldn't afford it. And the word got to Al, and he sent the principal of the, of the school a blank check with a signature on it. Said, fill in whatever you need. Keep the program alive. Which was, wow. I mean, look, it's well documented that, that Al was a different kind of a guy. How would you describe, uh, it might have been bumpy at times, but how would you describe your relationship with Al Davis? Um, you know, it, it was it was a relationship, man. It wasn't bad or it wasn't good. It was just a relationship. I spoke to him. He spoke to me. We had brief conversations after almost every game. Uh, but there was no going out to dinner and, you know, hanging out in this office, you know, shooting the you know, shoot the bull, you know, that just didn't happen with him, man, and it would be in him, so, um, but, you know, I mean, I feel as if I need to go to him about something, I can go to him about something, but, uh, but we weren't buddy buddies or anything of that nature, and, um, you know, I think, I don't think he had a lot of confidence in me uh, early on, you know, and even though I had a great rookie year, I turned around and turned my knee up the second year, and I'm really out for a couple of years, you know, I missed that whole season, and, I come back in 90, but I, I play sparingly. And uh, 91, I play a little bit more. Um, so I think, you know, he, he, he didn't have a clue what he had in me, I, I don't believe. So so I think the jury was really out, maybe to 95, 96. And uh, by that time, you know, people are, are pointing out to him, that, hey, remember, you asked the kids you didn't want. <laughs> so, so it became a different kind of relationship. It was a respectful thing. But we were never buddy buddies. Well, I, I mean, he drafts you with the sixth overall pick in 1988, so he must have thought about you in some way. Well, he wanted Ricky Dixon. There's a story that I heard that uh, Ricky went uh, number five uh, to uh, to Cincinnati. And uh, so he was mad. He's mad at Ron Wolf that uh, Ron couldn't make that happen. And uh, so uh, when they told him uh, they, they wanted to go with me, he felt as if uh, that wasn't, you know, the right right move, and and uh, you know they say he walked out of the uh, out of the out of the draft room, you know, said this pick is on you guys, not me. So, but you know that that was good to hear from from my from my standpoint because um, you know if if I was coming in on you know all American, two time all American, Heisman Trophy winner, playing me all this stuff, you know. To get to your pro team and the only didn't want you was the motivation you needed to go out and uh, and prove somebody wrong. You know, I um I spent six years doing Monday Night Football on CBS Radio with Matt Millen, uh, who, as you well know, was was a member of the Raiders and the 49ers and Washington Redskins, I believe. But Matt Matt would tell me stories about the Raiders and that you had to be in his. This was his description. He said. You had to be a different sort of a guy to play with the Raiders because there are a lot of characters in that organization from when you were there to when Matt was there and and maybe since. You with me, Tim? There you go. Yeah. You you left me for a second. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said, 
Look, particularly during Al's time, when you look at the Raiders and you look at the list of great players that have played there, there are a lot of characters in that organization. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and mostly before before I got there, you know, you, know, you talk about the Matuzaks and, and the Storch and, and those guys. Those guys are legendary. You know, I mean, the stories you hear about those guys are really unbelievable. I mean, uh, you know, I got a little bit of it when Lalo Zeno came back, I think, in 1990 and 1991. Uh, that, was, that was a wild, wild training camp, no doubt about it. So, uh, you know, Howie wasn't, you know, even though he was a part of that group, obviously he was Mr. Clean Cut. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he didn't have those kind of stories, man. But, uh, you know, it, it was pretty interesting. You know, Lester Hayes, you know, Lester Hayes was in training camp with me. Uh, my rookie year for about a, a week, and they cut him. And I was so thankful <laughs> that they cut him because he, he could he could barely talk. But all he talked about was knocking my teeth out, you know. So, uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, th- there were definitely some characters, man. And um, you know, I think during my time, uh, especially after '91, '92, after Howie left, really that was the last of the old regime, you know, because. Uh, for that, uh, Marcus had already left. Uh, you know, maybe Don Mosbar. I think Mosbar already got hurt too, so he was gone. But uh, we, we didn't have too many of the old guys around anymore. When I think, look, and and now the current uh, edition of the Raiders is going to be playing in Las Vegas, uh, which, uh, the way I understand it, from people that I know in Las Vegas, it's going to be the hottest ticket in town. Oh, they're loving this. I mean, you know, I, I think you know they. Uh, you know, they wanted this really bad, and then when it happened, they had an uh-oh moment, you know. And that uh-oh moment was, well, if, we, if we're if we going to ask this team, if we're going to get this team, then we got to support this team. You know, some kind of way, we got to uh, make sure that that uh, we got people in the stands and all that stuff. So I think there's been a big rally there about uh, supporting the Raiders. And, uh, you know, they, they got a taste of it with the, with the Golden Knights. And certainly with the WNBA basketball team, but now this is this is a run load here, right? This is the one that you've been waiting for, and uh, you finally got it. And um, so it's going to be interesting to see. If, first of all, are we going to be our fans going to be allowed to even go to the game this year? But if they do uh, allow that, you can bet that I think the city of Vegas is going to do everything they can to pack the uh, pack the stands. Knowing that, you know, you're going to have thousands of people coming from around the country uh, if that's allowed to, uh, to see, this, see these games. Look, uh, you played at a time, and you had a phenomenal career. I mean, you had almost 15,000 yards, uh, 100 touchdowns, 17 years in the league. I mean, that's, you got to be pretty proud of that, what you accomplished. Yeah, you know, for uh, uh, a kid who just wanted to uh, have fun, man, and, uh, you know, after my big injury, my second year, uh, the doctors literally told me, Tim, you may have four or five years on this knee, but, uh, you know, go use that great education you got to go to and be ready to leave out of here by the time you're 27, 28, because uh, your knee is just not going to last any longer than that. So, so I think from that standpoint, you know, going from that in 1989 to uh, not retiring until 2004, 2005, uh, you know, it's something to be really proud of, man. You know, uh, thankfully the doctors did a better job than what they thought with my knee, and uh, I did what I need to do to take care of it. 
and um, and everything just worked out to the best, man. So uh, yeah, I mean, certainly I'm proud of my career. Uh, I don't have many could have won the shooters, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, of course, the championship is always something you want to win, but I can't win that by myself. Uh, but as far as my personal goals, I think I accomplished everything I could I could have accomplished. Yeah, well, Jerry Rice uh, goes down in history. He played in uh, I don't know how many? He played what twenty years in the league, and it put up numbers that will never be broken. And they say the records are meant to be broken, but I don't see anybody playing twenty years in the NFL anymore. Do you? No, these, these young kids they can't they can't keep their attention span that long. You know, <laughs> they're, they're making too many. Uh, in a negative way, uh, they're making so much money that if you're good enough to play 20 years, and that means you, you're going to be making 25, 30 million dollars a year, and you get to year 14, 15, if you're not close, you know, it's going to be hard at 34, 35, 36 years old to keep pushing that button every morning to get up to go work out and do all the things you have to do. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a tough deal. It's a tough deal. And, and yes, I, I agree with you. I don't believe that it's going to be possible for, for one of these young guys to hang around long enough to, to get the record. Did you see, did you watch much college football last year? Oh, yeah. Did you see the Alabama receivers, uh, Jury and, um, and Ruggs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, I was surprised that, uh, that Ruggs went before J- uh, Judy in the draft because the one thing that impressed me about Judy was his route running. For a college kid, I was impressed. I think, knowing Gruden the way I do, I mean, I'm sure he believes that he could teach this guy how to run routes. And But what he really needed, needed more than anything was somebody who could blow the top, the top off the roof. And uh, at 427, this guy could jog and run as a whole. You know, I think that's uh, that's what he really wanted. And, and this guy is a football player. I mean, he can catch the ball. He can run with the ball after the catch, so... Uh, you know, I can see him on crossing routes and things of that nature in this offense, uh, giving him an opportunity to get in the middle of the field and run with the ball. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I believe that. But I don't know what the, the speed differential was between the two or what the uh, the size differential was. But I don't know, uh, you know, well, he's a good size man, and I think he is, uh, uh, if he can learn a couple staple routes in this offense, I think he's going to be extremely dangerous. What do you think about the kid the Cowboys picked, C.D. Lamb? A lot of people think the Cowboys might have stolen uh, what could turn out to be the best receiver in this draft. I mean, time will tell us if it's right or wrong, but a lot of people are high on Cowboys pick. Yeah, you know, I think the reason why he was where he was is because, you know, C.D. is not known for his speed, but he is, a, he is an absolute ball player. I mean, this guy... Uh, it's, it's hard to say that, you know, he's not one of the best for sure. You know, when you watch him play, it was like man, man versus boys, you know. So, uh, I mean, this guy knows how to attack the ball, knows how to play, and I think uh, he's going to be huge for, for the Cowboys in the red zone. You know, you got Amari, you got, you got uh, uh, Mike, and uh, now you have C.D. Lamb, and it's going to make it really, really tough. Defenses once they get in the red zone to uh, stop this team. Now, in the middle of the field, you know, uh, he's going to be a good possession receiver for but I don't think he's going to be a guy that uh, you're going to see, you know, catch a short pass and, and take it 50 yards for a touchdown. Uh, that, that hasn't been his, uh, his really 
the uh, the bio that he's put out there so far. Who who impresses you? Uh, the currently in the NFL amongst the wide receivers. Uh, you know, uh, if you asked me at the start of last year, I would have probably said, you know, um, uh, Julio and um, and of course uh, Antonio Brown before you know all those antics uh, came in about. Um, you know, but uh, you know, you got you got some kids out there, man, that uh, I think are going to be. Uh, good, good football players. This, this young kid at uh, Seattle uh, from Mississippi. I, I can't think of his name right now, but uh, when he learned, when he learns this game with the speed that he has and the size, it, it's going to be, it's going to be really, really sad for defense that's trying to uh, try to figure out how to, how to stop this guy. So, uh, but you know, so you have a couple guys out there man, who have the ability to really come in and make a extremely big slash in the, in the league. And uh, so we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. I just had um, the voice of the Cleveland Browns, Jim Donovan, on before you came on, Tim. Uh, and he's got a receiver there in Cleveland by the name of Odell Beckham Jr., who's yeah. enormously gifted. There's no question about it. Yeah. Yeah. But, he, but he does some things that make you want to scratch your head, like, what are you doing? former giant receiver Amani Toomer on last week yeah. and he brought up uh, Odell Beckham and who played with the Giants you know before we went to Cleveland and I said when you're watching a guy like that as a former giant player and now he's playing for you the team that you played for uh isn't there an urge don't you have a desire to go up to him and saying Odell you could be the best in the game 
And he'll probably say, well, I already am the best in the game. <laughs> I'm sure. But here's the guy who shows up on the field before a game once with a $250,000 wristwatch and saying, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, something told me, and, and, and again, I'm going to give James all the credit. He was my roommate my rookie year uh, in training camp. And uh, uh, so I, I got a chance to really um, you mean Lofton? To learn. What's that? You said you mean James Lofton? James Lofton. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, what you know, one of the things he you know to tell me all the time is take the shine, take the shine off of you, off of yourself. You know, and, and that meant just let me. See. This is what he did. Uh, this was even before season started. He asked me in one of my bank camps, "What kind of car do you have?" I, I had just bought. Uh, a 928 S4 Porsche, right? Uh, cold black, black on black on black, I used to say. <laughs> 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 Everything about that bad boy is black. And, uh, and you know, when I got drafted by the Raiders, I was like, oh, my God, this is like perfect. So I'm, I'm all set to bring it out to the training camp. And he told me, don't bring it out. Do not bring that car out. And I was like, what? why, bro? And he said, you, can have a, you haven't earned the right to have that car. You know, and these guys, these veterans, these guys have been playing for eight, nine, ten years, and they driving what they driving. You gonna show up, show up in a seventy-five thousand dollar car? No. And uh, and I heeded his advice, man. And uh, what bought me a little fifteen thousand dollar Pathfinder, decent Pathfinder. And uh, you know, I came to training camp in that. And the opening game of the year, I uh, the first time I touched the, the ball, uh, opened the play of the game. Uh, open the kickoff, I returned it 97 yards for a touchdown. And James came up to me on the sideline and said, you can bring that Porsche. <laughs> you know, like so, uh, you know, but, you know, and, but I, I don't know if you could go up to, to Odell and say, hey, man, as a veteran and say, you know, you probably shouldn't do that, bro. You know, I mean, because now, I mean, obviously he's a veteran too, but but even just trying to help him out, I, I just don't think he would receive that in a proper way. So, you know, so I think a lot of people have stand to themselves instead of trying to, uh, to help out. Yeah, a guy that you know pretty well, Warren Moon, came on a couple of weeks ago, and, and I've done a bunch of games with Warren and asked him his, and, and I asked him his, his um, how would he define what Patrick Mahomes did last year for Kansas City? And he, he said one word, wow. <laughs> I, I mean, this kid, is he's accomplished something that you didn't think was possible this early in his career. Yeah, well, I, I think you saw uh, last year uh, in 18 that he was a, a, a extreme talent. Uh, his ability to make throws and do what he needed to do to, to, uh, to have his team was uh, most remarkable, you know. I think the thing that really surprised me this year, I mean, even though he's a mobile quarterback, he loves to get out the pocket. I never saw him as being a running quarterback. Right. But uh, in the playoffs, you know, he made several big plays uh, with his feet, and um, you know that that's that's scary, very scary. If you if you a defense trying to go up against that offense, I mean, trying to to cover those receivers is one thing. Now you gotta you gotta. You know, pay attention to him running the ball. That just it puts a defense in a in a, uh, in, a in a losing uh, proposition situation. So, uh, 
But uh, so, you know, if he can add, keep adding things like that to his game, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But it's going to be very tough on defense, that's for sure. Well, the year that you went in the Hall of Fame, 2015, Cam Newton was the MVP. Cam Newton's out of work right now. What sure. do you see? Uh, and Cam Newton, is he just going to wait until the season starts and see if there's a job opening, or do you see him landing with the team before that? Yeah, you know, Cam is another one of those guys. He, he has some different things going on right now, you know. Um, and I think people are trying to figure out what is he really trying to accomplish at this stage in his career. Is it about, you know, being the best football player he can be, or does he want to be the best social media, you know, uh, influencer type guy, you know, what, what is he really trying to accomplish at this stage of his career? And these guys have to be careful about their social media pages, man, you know. I mean, that is the easiest way to interview you without talking to you. And uh, and when these owners can go on online and see that you said something crazy, are you dressing like this, are you doing this, are you doing that? And, and they don't have to say anything to the public you know, about, about you. They just, they just don't, don't, don't invite you in. They don't want to, they don't even bring you in for an interview. And for Cam Newton to not have, you know, and maybe has, maybe has had some interviews. I don't know that, but I hadn't heard it in the, in, in the news for sure that, you know, people are knocking down his door trying to get to him. There's something wrong. And, and if he doesn't see that as being something wrong, then that, that's a real problem for him that uh, he needs to correct pretty soon because with a guy of that talent, you know, people should be knocking that door down to, to see what's up with him and where his head is and all that. But I think people get a good idea where his head is because they can go to the social media pages and see what he's talking about. Yeah, you so you think that's working against him, obviously. Well, it can. It can, you know, and... If, if I'm sitting at home right now and no one is calling me, then I'm trying to figure out why that is. And, uh, and you know, and, and I, I've seen some things on Cam's page or, you know, heard about some things and, you know, and all that stuff is what it is, right? This hearsay is, is this and that. But, you know, uh, but if you come out and comment on it in any kind of way, then it's, it's, uh, it gets taken, you know, in, in another vein. So, uh, but, you know, uh, look, you know, he's a grown man, and uh, he is quite capable. He's one of my Heisman friends, so, you know, you want to see him do well. Uh, you know, uh, and, and yes, I do. Notre Dame guys and, and Heisman guys, I root for those guys more than anybody. <laughs> because if those guys do good, they keep the Heisman thing going in a very positive way. So uh, so we're, we're always wanting those guys to do not good, great, you know, and... Uh, you know, and, and, and that way, when people think of Heisman, they don't think of it just being an award. They think of it being the best, the best on the field. Talking with Hall of Famer Tim Brown, one thing I forgot to ask you about, and you just reminded me, when they announced your name winning the Heisman Trophy, do you remember your emotions? Yeah, I was just shocked. I was just shocked, man. You know, uh, obviously, uh, after... After the second game of the year, when I returned those two punts back to back versus Michigan State, I and everybody's, a lot of people, people's eyes became what they would say the front runner, and uh, so I had to live with that tag, you know, for seven, eight weeks. 
And, uh, you know, for the most part, I think I did what I could do. Um, you know, after returning those punts, you know, people weren't kicking me the ball anymore on punts or, or kickoffs. So I had a hard time putting up numbers, but uh, I was still affecting the game so much because people were kicking the ball out of bounds. Punt. We played USC at home that year. They averaged like 12 yards a punt because they had the guy trying to sky punt the ball straight up in the air. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, it was it was a unique time, you know. So, and uh, we went to Miami with, uh, with Penn State with a chance. We beat Penn State. Uh, we, we would go to Miami with a chance to go play for the national championship. We won, we won that game. So we lose Penn State and go down to Miami, and now everybody's saying, let's win the Heisman for Timmy. So for eight, eight weeks, we have been talking about, you know, winning championships, and all of a sudden the focus came to me, and I probably had one of the worst games of my career uh, in Miami that year. But uh, So thankfully, I, I won the trophy, but I had no clue. You know, I, I can remember Jim Nash came up to me and said, hey, you know, you deserve to be here. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I did win, you know. <laughs> and then James, James Brown came up, came up to me and said, well, hey, whatever happens, you know, at least you came to New York. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe I did win. You know, so you literally living on emotions uh, on people's words, living off of uh, people's words with your emotions. So, uh, so when my name was called, I was just as shocked as anybody in the building. And, uh, you know, I, when I got up there, I, I was really uh, short for words because I just really didn't expect that to happen. Well, you win the Heisman in 87, and that same list of guys that were in contention was uh, Thurman Thomas, who had a pretty fair career in the NFL with Buffalo, and uh, a guy named Emmett Smith, who had a pretty fair year with the Dallas Cowboys. So, I mean, you beat out a couple of really big-time guys. Yeah, you know, and I didn't know much about him at that year. Obviously, I knew about Thurman because we had left. Uh, we we were we left Texas at the same the same year, so we had done some recruiting trips together. Um, but uh, you know, I think Emmett really came to, to Providence in, in next year. But believe me, he, uh, he 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 reminded me of that uh, just a couple months ago. We're pretty good friends out here in Dallas, and we were somewhere. And he was like, "You know, that was my house." But I was like, "Oh, there you go. Everybody <laughs> want to call my house. Why everybody want to claim my house? God, no." Uh, but uh, but the guy, I think, really, uh, you know, I was surprised when I look back on it that he wasn't even on the list. Was Barry Sanders? Well, he won the and next year. Barry, he wasn't even on the list in '87, and mm. I think he led the the, the, the NCAA in the all-purpose yardage. And, uh, of course, the next year he, he, he won the Heisman, but I, I, I don't know where he was. Maybe he was 8, 9, or 10, but he wasn't top 5 or 6. You know, Emmett wasn't even top 10. I think Thurman was, but I don't know if Emmett was. So. But, anyway, you know, I think you had, uh, you had a lot of guys, man. You know, uh, Sterling Sharp always talking about, you know, it should have been his Heisman. Yeah. I was like, Sterling, I don't even know what school you came from. Bro. What are you talking about? So. <laughs> That's very good. Look, Sanders wins the Heisman in 88, okay? Look, I, Barry Sanders, to me, and there's no such thing as the greatest running back of all time because it depends on what era. Jim Brown was the greatest of his era. I mean, Gale Sayers was great. Barry Sanders was great. Uh, it's, it's, it's a different game. I mean, now running backs, uh, you know, it's, it's more about your wide receiver core than it is your running back, right? Yeah, 
Sure, 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 sure. Well, I mean, this, this game has turned into 7-0-7. And um, so you, that's why you had, what, six, seven, eight receivers go in the first round this year? Um, you know, because of that, you know. I mean, you you got to have dominant receivers. And, and it used to be you got to number one and number two. Now you got to be at least three deep. Yep. You know, at, at the receiver position, you know, because uh, that's just the way it is right now. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if you, if you got to run it back, and John is one of those guys, man, who wants to play old school football, he'll line up in two tight ends and all that kind of stuff and smash mouth, you know, because he knows, especially now, that a lot of teams are not practicing for that, you know. They may only be practicing for that for the Raiders because mostly everybody else is going four receivers all the time. And, and when you see, you know, the Raiders offense, they're rarely going to be a four receiver, you know, they rarely was last year. Maybe they'll go to a little bit more this year, but when you have a back like Josh Jacobs, uh, you're gonna you gotta make sure he gets his touches, and uh, if this guy can control the game, Green would love he would love to have seven minute drives and score a touchdown. You know because that shortens the game and it puts your the other team's offense in a lot of pressure to uh, to make things happen. So uh, that's his perfect drive. You know if he can go seven eight minutes and score a touchdown. Uh, and, you know, it's hard to do that in the NFL these days, you know. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of five and six and eight, nine, ten-yard plays that you, you, you're working with. And, uh, but that, that's the name of that's the offense that they have. Well, talking to you now, Tim, reminded me of how much fun I always enjoyed working with you. And it's great to hear you. And uh, you had a great career. You should be very proud of that. And uh, I thank you very much for all your time. Howard, I appreciate you, man. Always good to hear your voice, brother. Keep it up. Yeah, stay safe. That's the most important thing. No doubt. You too, Howard. All right. He's the Thank great you, Tim Brown, Hall of Famer, Heisman Trophy winner. Good guy. Bottom line, good guy. You could win all the awards, but people will remember how you treated them, how they treated you. And I don't remember doing a show... Uh, with Tim Brown, where I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't learn a lot more than before we started the show. Just, a, just one of those special people, and I met a lot of good ones, a lot of great people in, in my broadcasting career, and Tim Brown's one of those people. Uh, coming up this week, Mark Champion, who's a radio voice of the Detroit Pistons, will join me this week. Uh, Joel Myers, who does the New Orleans Pelicans games, interesting. Joel's had a phenomenal broadcasting career not only in the NBA, but the NFL, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, Jeff Saturday will be joining me this week, uh, former great center uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, wanted to know, I want to know from him how he recognized Peyton Manning's hands on his bottom as he bent over to snap the ball. That's, I want to know a lot more than that. Mark Zumoff, who does the Philadelphia 76ers, has got a lot of questions for him. Gary Myers. Uh, a uh, insider for National Football League, Bob Papa, voice of the New York Giants. Got a lot of surprises coming up the remainder of the week. Thank you for being a part of the program. And I want you to stay safe. Join me again tomorrow on Howard David Live. Thanks. And to close out the show, a friendly reminder that Howard David Inside Sports is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code MYPOD100, and they'll match your first deposit up to $1,000. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.